portion of God's word that we read tonight is James chapter 5. James 5. And the text for the sermon is verse 11 of this chapter. James 5 verse 11. Let's read the entire chapter this evening. This is the holy and the inspired word of God. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and the latter rain. Be also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy, which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if ye have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. So far we read God's word. I'll read the text again, which is verse 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the text for the sermon this evening is the last verse of a brief section in James chapter 5 in which the Apostle instructs the church to patience, to endure. That begins in verse 7. That's the way that this section starts. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of 
the Lord. And that theme of patience and endurance is found in verses 7 through 11. In order to encourage the church of Jesus Christ to patience, what the Apostle James does is he gives two examples for the church to consider in that regard. The first example is that of the prophets of the Old Testament, and that's the verse prior to our text. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. When you consider the Old Testament Scriptures and read about the life of the prophets, you know exactly that this was the case. It doesn't take very long, for example, when you read the book of Jeremiah to see that Jeremiah suffered greatly. He was mocked, he was ridiculed, He was beaten, he was imprisoned, he was thrown into a pit. He suffered. But through that all, the Lord brought him through and gave him the grace of patience. That's the first example that James directs our attention to. The second example is our text, verse 11, where we read, Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. And it's that second example that we consider tonight. Notice how James begins that. You have heard. You have heard of the patience of Job. James was confident that those to whom he was writing knew about the Old Testament saint Job. They knew what his life was about. They knew what he went through. And as the church today, and with our children even who are here tonight, the same thing is True for us. You have heard. We know tonight about this Old Testament saint, Job. I believe the point of saying it that way is you have heard of the patience of Job, and having heard of the patience of Job, learn from the patience of Job. And learn that it is an outstanding example of suffering but suffering with patience, knowing the end of the Lord, that He is a God of mercy and compassion. And so tonight, beloved, that's what we do by the grace of God. We have heard and we will learn from the patience of Job. Let's consider that as our theme, learning from the patience of Job. Let's consider in the first place the suffering of earthly life, in the second place, the patience of the believer, and then in the third place, the happiness of those who endure. The suffering of earthly life, the patience of the believer, and the happiness of those who endure. I don't want to go into great detail about this tonight, but I do want to start here and make one application from it, and that is that we take the position this evening, of course, that Job was a real man in the Old Testament times who went through real experiences just as we read of them by the, in the book that goes by his name in the Old Testament Scriptures. We maintain this evening the historical nature of Job and his life as it is described in the Bible. Now we say that tonight because there are some who don't say that and who say that Job was a story that was made up in order to teach certain truths. We deny that. Based upon the names that are found in the book and certain locations that are identified in the book, it's likely the case that this man Job lived early in the Old Testament time likely during the time of the patriarch Abraham. Now why it's important to maintain the historical nature of Job and his life is directly connected to one of the main points of the text tonight. We need to know for the comfort and encouragement that this passage affords that Job was a real man. And that Job went through real sufferings. And that Job was given the real gift by God, 
of patience. That's what gives us hope. And that's what gives us comfort. And that's what gives us encouragement as we go through the sufferings of this earthly life. This passage would not have the same effect upon us if what we had to say tonight was this Job that's talked about in James 5.11. He didn't really exist. Everything we read about him in the Old Testament was made up, a story, to teach us some spiritual truth or principle. And then we walk away and we say, what do we take from that? Well, what we take from that is something very different from what we actually take from it. That's what we don't need to know. What we do need to know is this. He was a real man. He went through tremendously difficult things. But God kept him. And he persevered in patience. That's what we need to know because we are real human beings who go through real sufferings of this earthly life and who need to know, just as it was the case for Job, that God will keep us. And He'll keep us by giving to us the gift and grace of patience. Defending the historical nature of Job has more to do than just with defending the historicity of the Bible. It has everything to do with the very point and purpose of the passage that is before us tonight. The text highlights the patience of Job. But before we get to an explanation of the patience of Job, we have to take note of what stands behind the patience. There is a certain need that Job had for the patience of which our text speaks. And the need, of course, is the fact that Job went through tremendous suffering and affliction. Now let's highlight that a bit. Not extensively. We know the history of Job quite well. And so, just in a brief bullet point cliff note version, let's be reminded of the sufferings that Job went through. Five points briefly. Number one, Job lost all of his material possessions. Job was an incredibly wealthy man. And all of his wealth was wrapped up in his livestock. And he lost it all. Number two, Job lost his servants. The three bands of the Chaldeans came and slew them. Now when we think of that point, maybe we're quick to gloss over it as though it's not that big of a deal. But then we need to be reminded that Job was a godly man. And Job cared not only for his family, that's what we're going to come to in a moment, but he cared for those who were under him, those who were hired by him, those who served as his servants to care for his estate. These were people that mattered to Job. And Job loses them all except the one who comes to tell him what happened. Number three, Job loses all of his children to death. The seven sons and the three daughters that God gave to him. They were all dining together in the eldest son's home. And a great wind came causing the home to fall down upon itself and to the death, therefore, of all of the children who were in that home. A tremendous suffering that Job experienced. We know the grief of losing a child or a couple of children. In one foul swoop, Job loses all ten children that God had given to him. Number four, Job lost his own health. He was incredibly sick. The boils that were sent to him were from the bottom of his feet to the crown of his head. And so, so afflicted was Job that we read in chapter 2 that when the friends came to see him, he was unrecognizable. 
And sometimes we say that about someone when they're going through tremendous hardship physically. You can't even recognize who he is. He doesn't even look the same. And that's meant to convey how the body is ravaged by the sickness that it has. And that's what Job experienced with the boils that were from the crown of his head to the bottom of his feet. And then last, part of the suffering that Job experienced was at the hands of those who were around him. It would have been tremendously difficult for him to hear his wife's response to his suffering. But then the main bulk of the book, of course, is on the comfort that is given to him by his three friends, which in the end was miserable comforting. And that simply exacerbated what it was that Job had to go through. Especially the particular point that they kept driving home to Job, which was that the suffering that you're experiencing, Job, is the judgment and punishment of God for the sins that you have walked in. This is what Job went through. Lost his material possessions. Lost his servants. Lost all of his children. Lost his own health. And then received the miserable, comforting of his friends. And we, of course, could go on and on and on to explain everything that we just said there in greater detail, but that's the highlights to get it before our minds of the suffering that Job went through. That's the fact of it. But it's important to reflect upon it from a couple different points of view as well. To understand the nature of what he went through as it pertained to himself and as it pertained to God. And two points here. On the one hand, it's incredibly important to understand when we think about this suffering that he went through, that God was absolutely in control of it all. This is going to be a theme that we come back to later in the sermon. And we know, of course, that this was one of the main points of the entire book of Job as such, that God is sovereign. He's sovereign over everything, and part of the everything that He is sovereign over are the sufferings that His people endure. Yes, there were others involved. There were the Chaldeans, and there were the Sabaeans, and there was the wind, and there was Satan. And the whole point of chapter 1 in Job is to say that Satan is under the direct control of God. But all of those things, the Chaldeans and the Sabaeans, and the wind that caused the house to fall down, and even Satan himself, always we say about that all, God is in absolute control of it. In every regard. We must maintain, and we do maintain, and we believe by faith, and that will be a theme later, that God is in control. Number two, as we think about the nature of these sufferings that he experienced, we highlight the fact that these sufferings were not specifically sent as the punishment of God upon Job for particular sins that he was walking in impenitently. That was the charge that was brought against Job time and time again. And Job rightly defended himself against that charge. It was true, as we read it at the beginning of the book, that Job was an upright man. He was godly. He was blameless. He eschewed evil. And so Job was not walking impenitently and hardened in sin. And these sufferings came as a direct result of that. No, as we'll see later, and as we know from the book, part of this is simply to establish God's sovereignty in all of the afflictions of earthly life. And so those two points are very important. God's absolute sovereignty and the fact that the sufferings were not sent as the direct punishment of God upon Job for hardened, impenitent sin. 
As we think about the sufferings of Job, we need to, of course, think about our own life. Because what we all recognize is that the same need that Job had for patience, we have for patience. The simple fact that the life of the Christian is one that is filled with hardship and affliction. First time that I preached this sermon was actually at the occasion of a confession of faith of a young person in our congregation. And it was at this point that I made a special point in light of it being a youth that was confessing their faith and many young people that were present. I'd like to keep that theme at this point. And the point that I made in this regard is that it's very important for us as Christians and especially as young Christians to have the proper outlook on life. To be sober-minded in the way that we think about the Christian life and not to believe the lie and to believe the illusion that is really pressed upon the generation that is being raised in this world today. Now, this is not something that everyone gets sucked into, but it is something that we can get sucked into. And that is the lie and the illusion. That what this life is all about is ease and pleasure and experiences. And it's very easy to get sucked into that lie when everything outwardly is so well. When the relationship is strong and when the job is there and when the means are available and when the extra time is there and you feel very in control of your life and then you hear that this is what life is about. You chart your path. And everything that you want to do, it's available for you. And now go get what you want. And what you want is a life of pleasure and experiences and ease with all that it has to offer. It can be tempting to think that way. But then we come back to the Word of God. And the fact is, not just come back to the Word of God, but we think more carefully about our own life and we know that that's not the way that it is. Life is hard. The life of a Christian is hard. And a young person who has had relative ease in their life, not all young people have relative ease in their life, Very often, young people understand exactly what I'm saying. But other times, it's easy to to fall into that thinking that life is easy. And life has everything you want for it. But then we come back, young and old alike, and realize this is the nature of the Christian's life. And there are several reasons for that. One of them is the context of James 5, and that is that the Lord's coming is drawing nigh. That's the general context in which we find this verse. Verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. And then verse 8, Be also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. As we think about our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, we think about their life in the future with regard to that truth. Now, I suppose every generation has said that about their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren as they see the cup of iniquity filling up. But this is real to us. We think about the fact that, yes, today we're able to gather here for worship publicly without the fear of persecution, and call upon the name of the Lord. And we wonder, what is it going to be like for our grandchildren and great-grandchildren? As the spirit of Antichrist is getting stronger and stronger, and the day of the Lord is drawing nigh, and what that will mean for a disciple of Jesus Christ who confesses Christ's name is this, hardship, suffering, and affliction. And so for that reason, the outlook of the believer, the outlook of a young person, 
according to the Word of God, is this. To be a follower of Jesus means hardship. And may mean increased hardship as time goes on and the Lord's return draws nigh. And so that's one reason that we realize that life as a Christian is a very difficult reality. Another reason, very simply, is that we live in a broken, fallen world and it's abounding in sin and sin that affects us as believers and causes this hardship and difficulty. And then in addition to that, to go directly back to what we said a moment ago about Job, there is in the third place the reality that God may very simply be pleased in His good pleasure to send certain hardships just as He did to Job. And the thing is, we simply don't know. We don't know what His will will be for us. We don't know that path that God has ordained in eternity. The path that we must walk on that afterward, as Psalm 73 says, will lead us to glory. We don't know what's on that path. And in any given moment, that path can be a very hard path to walk on. There's no indication that Job knew this was all coming for him, but it came. And God had a purpose in it. And so we always need to remember that. And thus be prepared. That doesn't mean that we live in paralyzing fear at what may happen in the future, but we live in the consciousness that God is sovereign. And that His way for us may be very, very difficult. And so, knowing that, we understand that there is always the need for patience. And so that brings us into the second point of the sermon, which is the patience of the believer. The patience of Job is what is highlighted here. You have seen, or you have heard of the patience of Job. Now that word patience in the text has the idea of constancy, steadfastness, endurance. It is the the steady resolve to keep pressing on through the hardships that God may be pleased to send to us. There's a very good figure that the Bible gives us in Hebrews chapter 12. And that's the figure of running a race. Where we read there that we are to run with patience the race that is set before us. And the type of race that we're running is not the sprint. It's not even the marathon where you can run pretty hard for that 26.2 miles. It's the ultra marathon that requires just plodding and plodding and plodding one step in front of Another And with that race, it's not the clean path that you run on with no obstructions. It's the hard path that has the twists and has the turns and has the ups and has the downs and has the hurdles, but you simply keep pressing on one foot in front of the other. That's the idea of patience. The steady resolve to keep going and endure through it. Job is highlighted as having that patience. Which is really striking. And it's striking because Job's response to the suffering that he went through was not perfect and without sin. But yet the Bible highlights the patience of Job. And of course, he had this patience. This would not be in James chapter 5 if Job was not in fact patient. The Spirit inspired James to write the patience of Job exactly because Job was patient. But he wasn't sinless. And he wasn't even sinless in response to 
the sufferings that God sent to him, though he was patient. You can see, of course, in the book that Job's response at times was weak and it was sinful. Cursing the day of his birth. Constantly throughout the book, seeking the answer to the question of why Why, why is this my lot and this my suffering? And God in the end has to come to lead him to see the conclusion which is God is sovereign and that's what you need to know. And God is good in all of his ways and all of his works. And in the end that he will bring him to, he was not without sin in response to the sufferings that he went through. And that It's very important to remember. It's important to remember for each one of us personally. Because we all know, as we go through the hardships of earthly life, our response is not always sinless. Of course not. We're weak. We're sinful. And that weakness and sin is evident at times in response to the hardships that we go through. But then we hear, of course, Week by week, what we need to hear, and that is that God is a God of grace and God's mercy covers the sins that we commit in this regard as Job's sins were covered in the blood of the promised Messiah. And also this is important to remember as we walk with each other through the hardships of earthly life because we do walk with each other and we must walk with each other. When one has to go down that deep valley, what we say as a fellow Christian is, I'm right there with you. And I'm going to stay right there with you as long as I need to be with you and as long as the Lord leads you through this. I'm right there with you. But when you go down that valley with others, you realize you're going down that valley with others as sinners. Both the one that's there to help and the one that's being helped. And then we remember this truth that God is a God of grace and mercy to us in those sins. It gives us the proper view of each other as we walk with each other through the hardships of life. And it leads us time and time again to see the goodness and grace of God in the forgiveness that we have in His blood. So he was patient, but he wasn't perfect. But he was patient. And that's what we reflect upon now. The patience of Job. The patience of Job through the sufferings that he experienced is evidenced by the faith that God preserved in him during his suffering and the faith that he confessed in and through the sufferings that he experienced. What was it that led him to persevere in endurance through everything that we read through? What it was, was that he believed in God. And he confessed God. And he confessed the promises of God. And it's that faith by which he knew God, believed in God, and confessed God out of which he was able then to keep plodding forward in endurance through the hardships that God sent to him in his earthly life. And that is evidenced throughout the book. There are marvelous examples in which we see the faith of Job on display. And by that faith, therefore, the perseverance of Job by God's grace through what he was going through in his life. And I'd like to highlight several of them. Five of them in particular. And these are all well known to us because these are the very things that we go to. And these are the very things that we take on our lips. In the very same way that Job did with what he went through. Job 1, verse 21. Right before that 
the statement that he fell down upon the ground and worshipped. We read in verse 21 of chapter 1, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave. The Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What an amazing confession of faith. In the immediate aftermath of losing all those things that we described earlier in the sermon. Second example, Job chapter 2, verse 10. This was in response to his wife, where he says this in Job 2, verse 10. What shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. It's put in the form of a question, but that's a confession of faith. That's in the form of a question. It's a confession similar to Job 1 verse 21. That all things come to us by the hand of God. A third example is Job chapter 13 verse 15. Job 13 verse 15. Astounding thing that the child of God is able to say in the strength of faith. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Though God slay me, I will still trust in him. How could he keep going? Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Example number four, Job 19, 25 and 26. Job 19, 25, and 26, an astounding part of Job is that he had a very distinct, clear understanding of the future bodily resurrection from the dead. Very early on the Old Testament, God's people knew that God was not the God of the dead, but that He was the God of the living. And Job confesses that in Job 19, verses 25 and 26, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. He knew that there was an end to all of this. And that in this very flesh that would be destroyed and eaten by the worms of this earth, he would see God. How could he keep going? He knew this to be true. And then at the end of the book, and I understand this is at the end after he's led to see the sovereignty of God with renewed clarity, but nevertheless, part of his confession in Job 42, verse 2, where he says very simply about God, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Beloved, what this demonstrates is that the path of perseverance, the path of of patience, the path of endurance arises out of the God-given faith that we have in God, in His truth, and in His promises. Let me summarize that then with these three points as we think about this for us. We go forth patiently through the hardships of earthly life by believing and confessing and knowing, number one, that God is God. We always start there. Beloved, when the devil works furiously to get us to question that, to get us to doubt that, and yes, at times we succumb to that, But then the Lord brings us back, and maybe even through this word tonight, brings us back so that we say by faith, the faith that He has worked in us, God is God. God is God. And I know that, and I believe that. And the reason that when I wake up in the morning and I see this mountain that I have to climb again in this day, and it's the same mountain it seems like every single day, the reason I can get up in the morning and put one foot in front of the other is because God is God and He knows what He's doing. 
And in the end, beloved, we want it that way. We don't want it this way, that we determine what our life is going to look like and the path that we need to walk on. We may think we know, but in the end, we don't. We're weak, we're sinful, we're finite creatures, but God is God. And it's that basic, fundamental truth every day of our life that we need to lay hold of and confess and believe. Then I can wake up. Then I can face the mountain. And then, by God's grace, patiently endure through it all. Number two, it is to know and to believe and to confess that in the end, The Lord is, as we read in the text, He is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Two words very closely related in meaning, very simply expressing the idea that God is a God of compassion and love upon His people. And this was the end in all of this. This was the goal in all of this. It revealed in the life of Job that God was this God to Job. And He is this God to every single one of His children through the sufferings that they go through. Because I believe the point of this is not just that there's something that happened at the end that revealed that God is this God of tender mercy and compassion. It's not just that at the end He was brought through the suffering and restored His riches. But the fact that this was who God was to Job is seen from the very beginning. And all throughout it, and at the end. You want to see that God is this loving God of compassion upon Job, consider this. That the suffering that he went through did not destroy him. Did not crush him. And by destroy and crush, I mean rip him away from his God so that he was separated permanently from God as the God of his salvation. It didn't do that. Because it couldn't do that. It never could. Exactly because Job was the object of God's love. In eternity, God set His love upon Job in Jesus Christ. In time, God sent Jesus Christ to die for Job. Always, Job was the object of God's love, mercy, and compassion. So that all of that suffering... All that he went through could never, ever do that. Namely, destroy him and crush him and rip him out of his father's hand. That's the evidence, in part, of Jehovah being a God of tender mercy and compassion upon Job. You want to see that he was this God to Job through the suffering? Consider the fact what we have taken note of already. That Job, through it all, had faith. That God worked that faith in him. And when God works faith in a man or a woman, though that faith can be very weak at times and dim and may not be exercised at times, nevertheless, that faith can never be taken away completely. God worked that faith in him. And God quickened that faith in him so that even through it, even through it, he confessed, this is who God is. And he confessed the promises of God. And by that faith, continued on in his earthly life. The point with this is to say that God is this God of tender mercy and compassion. Not just at the end because he brings us to an end, but from the very beginning and all the way through to the end. And part of our persevering is to know and to confess and to believe and to live out of the knowledge that this is who God is to us. Which means that right there every single morning when we wake up and when we say, 
God is God, the sovereign God. We say God is the God of love to me in Christ. His love is upon me in Jesus. And the supreme manifestation of that is that this Jesus was sent to the cross for my greatest need. And my greatest need is that I am a sinner in my sin. And He's delivered me from that sin. He loves me. So that as I face this mountain that stands before me in this day, this I know, and I know it every day. I need to be reminded of it. But I know that this mountain that I must walk up is not the judgment and punishment of God upon me that's leading me to everlasting destruction. No, He's the God of mercy and compassion in Jesus. And that's why, that's why I can take that step forward and I can press on through the sufferings of earthly life. And then number three, right there with that it is to know and to believe and to confess and to live out of the truth that there is that final victory to come for the child of God in Jesus Christ. There's hope. There's hope for the believer and the nature of the believer's hope is that it's the certain expectation of a future good and that future good is heaven. Job knew that. Job knew that this life was not all that there was and is. He knew that God was one day going to bring him home to heaven. And we know that too. We know that the burdens of this life are not going to go with us into all eternity. We know that the sin that clings to us will one day be shed from us. And we know that this path that we have to walk on, sovereignly determined by God, is His path. And we don't always know why, but by faith we believe it. This path, for me and for the good of those around me whose paths I cross, is the path that I need to walk in order to be brought home to glory. Patience is the God-given gift of God's grace as it arises out of faith that God works in us, in Him, in Christ, and in His promises as they are yea and amen through His work. And in conclusion tonight, we take note of that opening statement of the text, Behold, we count them happy which endure. It's a remarkable thing for the Word of God to say. Happy are those who endure. And it's not just happy because there is an end that is the supreme happiness of the believer and that end is heaven and the new heaven and new earth with resurrected body when we live with God in Christ and the church of all ages. It's not just that. That's the supreme manifestation of happiness for the Christian. But it's a happiness that we have even now. Happy are those who endure. And it's remarkable that the Word of God says this, and that the child of God is able to say this. And we understand, of course, that the happiness of which the text speaks is not, is not the happiness that this world has to offer, not the happiness that says it's all wrapped up in the here and now and the pleasures and experiences and the stuff that this life has to offer. It's not that. It's the happiness of the Christian, that deep-seated knowledge and peace that everything is okay. And in the end, in the end, it's okay. And it's okay because I have my God. It's okay because I have my Savior. It's okay because I have hope. And none of that is to minimize the suffering and affliction and the hardship. None of it minimizes it. 
makes it any less than the fullness of what it is and the hardship that it causes in our life. But deep down, by faith that God has worked in us, we're able to say, knowing God and knowing our Savior and knowing the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ, it's okay. I'm at peace because I know my God and what is to come for me in Jesus Christ. This is the patience of Job, the God-given patience of the believer. The way we endure, of course, is not then I'm going to muster up my own strength. It's not I'm going to turn to the things of this earth. It's not I'm going to hold out for that day when life becomes easier. No. It's this. May this Word of God bring us back to Him. Back to Him as we need to be brought back to Him every day and every week. And to know who He is as our God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that mean we understand everything? No. Does it mean we understand all of the sufferings we go through? Absolutely not. But this we do understand. And this we do confess by faith. That this God is our God. And He will be our guide. Even unto death. May God so work in us. To know that. And to be able then. To take that next step forward. And press on. By faith in the midst of the hardships of earthly life. Amen. Father in heaven, we pray that thy word may encourage us, that it may guide us, and that it may direct us. We thank thee that thou art a God that we can say has never let one of thy children go lost. Not one. And in the hope and confidence that thou art faithful, in all of thy saving work in Jesus Christ, we go forth. Help us to walk together, to encourage one another, and to live to the glory of thy name, no matter what it is that we must go through in this life. We thank thee for Jesus Christ again, the one who is our Lord, our Savior, and our all. The one who suffered in ways beyond what we can even understand on the cross for our sins. In His name do we pray. Amen.